I want you to turn in your Bible again over to Matthew chapter 24. I'll just give these kind of like beginning verses in our study today. Matthew chapter 24. And today we are going to be talking about in our continuing series, Countdown to Armageddon, we are going to be talking about something called the 70 weeks of Daniel. The 70 weeks of Daniel. This is something that a lot of people find it hard to understand, put it together. Every time I teach or preach on it, it is always my prayer and my goal is, is, Lord, would you please help me make it clearer than the last time? Because there's always some who get it and some who don't, and I want everybody to get it. Because this is a precious truth of Scripture. Now, Jesus here in Matthew chapter 24 He says, uh, remember now, this is before the church age, and I'll show you what I'm talking about when I say that in just a minute. But in Matthew 24, 1, it says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world or the age? Now, the sign of his coming, you know, we like to think nowadays, if you believe the Bible and you believe prophecy and you know some prophecy, many times we say, oh, the sign of his coming. That's referring to the rapture. It's not talking about the rapture. When Jesus talked about his second coming, he was talking about at the end of the tribulation period, the second coming at the end of the tribulation. You might say, why not the rapture? Well, because the rapture was still a mystery. It was not something that was explained at that point. Now, when we come to Matthew 24, remember that Jesus is talking about Israel's future, Israel's future, short-term and long-term. And this is, by the way, some of the confusion in this. Long-term, by the way, which brings us to the days in which we live, because the days in which we live are the long-term period he was talking about. When he speaks of the second coming, again, he's speaking of the time after the seven-year tribulation. Now, I have two charts I want to show you this morning. I want to show you two charts. Now, we've been showing this chart for several weeks because it it shows you kind of like the, the linear timeline of how things will be. We see here's the time before Christ, the first coming of Christ. Here's the history of Israel going, going, going. Jesus came, he lived his life, he went to the cross. Three days later, after he died on the cross, paid for our sins, he rose from the grave, all right? And then he was on the earth for 40 more days, and then he ascended to heaven. Now, on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, something called the church age began. That's the period in which we live today. The church age was something not known at all in the Old Testament. Now you can look at certain things in the Old Testament, which we will do today, by the way, in Daniel, and say, that's where the church fits in. But the church is not mentioned. See, we have the advantage of looking back and saying, oh, this is how this has unfolded. They did not have that advantage. The future, they did not know this period in which we're living today. The Bible calls it a mystery. So we are living in the church age. Okay, I say approximately 2,000 years. I'm just guessing at that. That's an educated guess. I'm not nailing it to 2,000 years. Okay, I'm not one of these that gives dates. 
But we believe it's approximately that long. We'll see how it turns out. But we know this. The apostles were told to be looking for the rapture of the church. As the truths of the church age were explained in Paul's epistles and John's writings and so forth, that came later, which were later in this period of time, the church age, they were told to be looking for the rapture of the church. And they saw very clearly that the rapture of the church was different than the second coming. You might say, I'm getting these things confused. Okay, look. At the end of the church age, there's an event coming called the rapture. Now, we don't know when the end of the church age is. It's an imminent event. That means it could take place at any moment. So we are looking for this. Now, I think we are very close to the rapture of the church. Why is that? Well, because of what comes next. There are no signs for the rapture of the church, but there are signs, there are trends pointing to the seven-year tribulation period. And we have been seeing those trends for our entire lifetime. The tribulation period will begin after the rapture of the church. We are seeing signs for this period. Now, if the rapture takes place before the tribulation begins, we are that much closer to the rapture of the church because we're closer to the tribulation. But understand, the rapture could have taken place anywhere in here because there are no signs for the rapture. Now, when we go up to heaven, believers, all those who have trusted Jesus Christ alone as Savior, when we go up to heaven, those still on the earth will go through this seven-year tribulation period. At the end of that period is the second coming of Christ back to earth, and we will be coming with him. And we will come all the way back. Jesus will touch down on the Mount of Olives and then he will set up his kingdom. That is what we see today as church age saints. Let me show you what the way they saw it in the Old Testament. I think it'll be helpful to understand this mindset, okay? Let's look at the next chart. Okay, here it is. The Old Testament view of the future. The first coming of the Messiah was prophesied. His death was prophesied. And then what they have is after his death, the nation of Israel would come into judgment. There would be a time, a period of time, okay? They would be scattered, we know that. But in the last days, in the last days, it talks about, they would come back and then there would be this period of tribulation. The second coming of the Messiah, Zechariah 14, we'll look at that in the future. The setting up of the kingdom, age, all right? So this is what they saw. You notice, go back to slide one. What is missing here in this one? Look at slide one. The church is missing. They did not see this. Go back to slide two. You notice? They knew the Messiah would come. They knew he would die. They knew he'd be raised from the dead. And they knew about the tribulation. It's called the day of the Lord. The tribulation begins the day of the Lord. And the tribulation period is called, and I will repeat this in a few minutes, the time of Jacob's trouble. Now, Jacob, in the book of Genesis, had his name changed to what? Israel. The time of Israel's trouble. Jeremiah chapter 30. Folks, this is prophesied hundreds of years, not ago from when we're talking about, This is hundreds of years before Jesus ever came to earth. We are talking about 25, 26, 2700 years ago as we speak today. And these things are coming true in our lifetime. The Bible is the word of God. Understand that, friends. You can believe this. There's no book like it anywhere. Now, major point. 
For the events of the last days, namely the tribulation period, that seven-year period, to take place, Israel has to be back in the land of Israel. Now, they've been scattered for some 2,000 years, but May 14th, 1948, they were declared or recognized the nation once again, and they have been coming back, as I said last week, by the millions, by the millions, they have been coming back to the nation of Israel. As we have already seen here, now going back to Matthew 24, as we have already seen in verses 1 through 14 and following, this seven-year tribulation period, which I think we're right on the edge of that, will be a time of deception, as we've already studied, wars, rumors of wars, there will be incredible famines, pestilences, which are incurable diseases, by the way, earthquakes, persecution of believers, entrapment of believers coupled with the persecution. In other words, they will be tricked into believing things, those who trust Christ as Savior during this tribulation period, and they will be hunted down and these people will be martyred. The Bible says the the number of martyrs, you can't even count them. There's going to be so many people who trust Christ as Savior during the tribulation and then get martyred for their faith because they will not take the mark of the beast, the Antichrist. And yet there's going to be a great harvest of souls. Supernatural cosmic disasters as well. Now some of these issues will be increasing in the world even now and we're seeing an increase of things. Wars, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, all of these things. Does that mean we're in the tribulation? No, it doesn't mean that. What it means, though, is we're going through just like a woman in labor goes through birth pangs, goes through labor, okay, before she delivers. We're seeing that. We're seeing that in the world. We're seeing that in society all over the place. Now, Matthew 24, picking up in verse 15, it says this, when ye therefore, now, therefore, When you're seeing all these things going on, and many of those things, I would say absolutely most of those things, you're going to see them in an incredibly powerful fulfillment during the tribulation period. Now, where will believers today be? We'll be in heaven. We'll be in heaven. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation. What's that? We'll explain it. When you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. We'll stop right there. Let's answer some questions. Number one, what in the world is the abomination of desolation? Here's what it is. It is when the Antichrist, this one who will emerge at the beginning of the tribulation period, he will be revealed to the world. It is when the Antichrist goes into the temple in Jerusalem, which does not exist today, but they are, have been ready to build it for several decades. It is when the Antichrist goes into the temple in Jerusalem and claims himself to be God and to be worshiped as God. Okay, now this term, the abomination of desolation, the origins of it are in the book of Daniel. So that's where we want to go today because of this issue. This will take place during the seven-year tribulation period, and the seven-year tribulation period is also called the 70th week of Daniel. It's dealing with Israel. Remember, the church is gone. 
It's dealing with Israel. The tribulation period is the time not of the church's trouble. It's the time of Jacob's trouble, of Israel's trouble. The church is in heaven. And we have covered this many times and why we believe it. I don't think there's any question about it that the church is gone during the seven-year period of time. So go with me to Daniel chapter 9. We're going to spend most of our time there today. And here's the thing you need to understand. We need to get a broader view of the word weak, not weak in the sense of you don't have physical strength. Weak in the sense of when we usually think of a week, we think of seven days, right? Seven days in a week. This is the concept that's hard for people to understand. Daniel 9, 24, it says this, 70 weeks, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. Who were Daniel's people? The Jewish people. You notice 70 weeks are determined on the Jews, not the church, which would include Gentiles. 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city, Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, What are the 70 weeks? Again, we usually think of a seven-day period of time when we think of the word week. But in the Bible, that's not what it refers to necessarily. The word week simply means sevens, a group of seven or seven-something. So 70 weeks is 70 sevens. It is simply a period of seven And that period is determined by the context. So if it's talking about seven days, that would be determined by the context. If it's talking about 70 something else, that would be determined by the context. So here we go. 70 weeks, okay? Now, in Daniel, and by the way, also it's used this way in the book of uh, Genesis, seven years equals one week. Seven years equals one, not seven days, Seven years equals one week. So in Daniel, it's talking about 70 weeks of years. Now, if each week, do your math, if each week equals seven years, and we're talking about a group of 70 sevens, then how many does that equal? 490, there you go. So we are talking about seven times 70, or 70 sevens, which means 490, and we know it's talking about years, so it's talking about a period of 490 years. Now stay with me, don't let your minds drift. We can get this, okay? 490 years are determined upon the Jewish people. This period is focused on the Jews, verse 24. The holy city, of course, is Jerusalem. It has always been that. Here's their second question. What are the 70 weeks for in the book of Daniel chapter 9, verse 24? 70 weeks are determined upon the people. Well, what are they for? The verse gives us the answer. Several different things. Number one, to finish the transgression. Now, there's some debate as far as what this refers to. I think it refers to an end of the rebellion of the Jewish people. If you're Jewish, sorry, don't mean to offend you, but you know, if you're honest with your history, the track record of the Jewish people towards Jehovah God is a dismal track record. Read your Old Testament. 
Whereas they were supposed to be a testimony to the world, they were won by the world and even got worse than some of the people in the world. And God was very fed up with them. And as a matter of fact, he judged them and judged them harshly, so much so that when they rejected the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, God scattered them all over the world. And they were scattered until the last days, which is now when he said, in the last days, I'm going to bring them back to the land. But you see, him bringing them back, most Jewish people are not coming back having trusted in the Messiah as Savior. As a matter of fact, a lot of them are coming back and they're not even sure why they're coming back. They just have this strong urge to come back to Israel. Now, we have talked to Jews in Israel and there were some from America when we were there the last time who had migrated to Israel back And we're living there. They left America and we're living in Israel. And this is 30 years ago. And they said, we're not even sure. We just sensed there was, we had a strong urge to come back. (laughs) I'm thinking, this is right before my eyes. This is a fulfillment of Daniel 9. So they're back in unbelief. So this is, uh, to finish the transgression, this is probably referring to an end of the rebellion of the Jewish people. The tribulation period is called the time of Jacob's trouble. Israel as a nation will be purged and humbled during this time, making them ready to embrace their Messiah. Bringing them to their knees, so to speak, to where they say, please, we're looking for the Messiah. Please, Messiah, come. And of course, that Messiah, when he does come, they'll recognize him, and it will be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes back at the end of that seven-year Jacob's trouble, tribulation period. So the 70 weeks, what are they for? One, to finish the transgression. So the, the transgression of the Jewish people will be finished. Secondly, to make an end of sins. This was accomplished, of course, through the blood of Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross, what did he say? He says, it is finished. What is he referring to? His payment for sin. Remember, when Daniel gave his prophecy, the Messiah was hundreds of years off. He hadn't come yet. He hadn't come yet. The payment, though, today has been made, and it is up to us, as well as the Jewish people, to accept the payment Jesus made as their own payment for their sin. Jesus died as our substitute. And when you trust in him that he died on the cross and paid for your sins and rose from the grave, he gives you as a gift everlasting life and he forgives you of all your sin. Another reason is, according to verse 24, is to make reconciliation for iniquity. Of course, this is all linked together. The word reconciliation. Now, this word literally means atonement. But it's the atonement made to where two opposing parties can be reconciled back together. Do you understand that, this idea of reconciliation? By the way, the Bible is is an entire book having to do with reconciliation. And something God has taught me in the last several years is it is God's will that people be reconciled back together as well as reconciled back to God. God is a God to, to put things back together. And he has given, laid out the principles in scripture. We should not be living in conflict with one another. Number one, we need reconciliation with God Almighty through faith in Jesus Christ as our personal savior. And then if I am forgiven, I need to be willing to reconcile with somebody else. 
if there's an angst with somebody, if there's a conflict with somebody. Now, this idea of reconciliation, you see, you can forgive, you can forgive, and yet not have reconciliation with somebody. Let's say somebody's offended you or hurt you. You can forgive them, and that frees you up. You're no longer under the cancer of bitterness and hatred and anger. That can free you up, but guess what? That relationship does not get reconciled unless the other party wants the same thing. Here's what Jesus did, folks. Here's man, here's God, and God and man could not be reconciled back together because of this thing in the middle called sin. But Jesus came and died on the cross and paid for the sin and made it possible now. He says, I've taken care of the sin issue. Now all man needs to do to be reconciled back to God is to trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior. All Israel needs to do to be reconciled back to God is to trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, Messiah. God is a God of reconciliation. To make reconciliation for iniquity. The payment has been made, and through the payment Jesus made, it is now possible for man to be reconciled back to God. God is satisfied with the payment Jesus made, and he offers salvation to Jew and Gentile alike today. And everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ as Savior, they become part of the body of Christ. Jew and Gentile become part of the church. Not a denomination, the body of Christ all around the world. Let's go on. Another reason, to bring in everlasting righteousness. When will everlasting righteousness be brought in? This will be realized during the kingdom age, during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. When he comes back at the end of the tribulation, the Jews will look upon him whom they have pierced, and they will accept Jesus as their Messiah, and Jesus is going to set up his kingdom. And we will rule and reign with him there. All believers will be with him. And that will be a time of him bringing in everlasting righteousness because his kingdom isn't only a thousand years. The Bible says his kingdom is forever. There is no end to his kingdom. On this earth, it'll be a thousand years, but it'll go on for eternity. That's why it says everlasting righteousness. Doesn't say a thousand years of righteousness. It says everlasting righteousness. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. Another reason to seal up the vision of the prophecy. In other words, to put God's seal on the fulfillment of the prophecy. So many prophecies will be fulfilled at the end of the tribulation period. The last one, to anoint the most holy. What is that? That's to anoint Jesus as the everlasting king the everlasting king of his kingdom, his kingdom, there will be no end. The kingdom belongs to him. Now, do you get that? Verse 24, we'll look at it again. It says, 70 weeks, 77, 490 years are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy, okay, the holy one, the Messiah. So that being true, let's go on to verse 25 now. Verse 24 is the general truth. Verse 25 through 27 starts breaking that truth down and showing us how that all works together. Are you with me? Verse 25, know therefore and understand. See, God wants us to know it and he wants us to 
understand it. Doesn't want it to be a mystery. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. Three score is 60 and seven, okay? Three score, 60, that's 67, two weeks. 67 and two is how many? 69. How many weeks are determined? 70. So 69. 69 is not the same as 70 weeks. Okay, now remember, they're periods of seven years. So 69 weeks, well, 70 minus 69 leaves us how many? One. Simple math, simple math. And that one, it's one week, and one week is how many years? Seven years. Okay, you're getting it? So let me ask you this. In the realm of years, how many years are left to fulfill the prophecy of Daniel's 70th week? 70 weeks. Seven years is left. Are you getting it? Are you seeing it? Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, three score and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Now the decree to restore and build Jerusalem was given in 445 BC under artist Xerxes in Nehemiah chapter two. This is 69 weeks or 483 years of the 490. Now, understand that. Verse 26, after three score and two weeks, or can I put it this way? After the three score and two weeks. So the last part of that prophecy or that decree, after 69 weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come, and that's not referring to Jesus, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Now, number three, what is verse 26 speaking of? Well, let's break it down. Again, 483 years after the decree, it says the Messiah, Jesus, would die for our sins or be cut off. Cut off means he would die for our sins. Now, this was a remarkable prophecy, If you want to disprove the Bible, all you would have to do is disprove that this happened. But, huh, funny thing. Not really funny, but amazing. Guess what? I quote from Believer's Bible Commentary. Quote, a century ago in his book, The Coming Prince, Sir Robert Anderson gave detailed calculations of the 69 weeks using prophetic years allowing for leap years, errors in the calendar, the change from B.C. to A.D., etc., and figured that the 69 weeks ended on the very day of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem five days before his death. 69 weeks to the day from when the decree went out to restore. And after that decree went out, it said 69 weeks. Guess what? 69 weeks. That's an amazing truth, and yet it it is in Scripture. Secondly, the people of the prince that shall come, which is the Antichrist, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. This, of course, refers to the unbelievers of the world in the day of Christ, or right after the day of Christ, specifically 
Let me ask you, what empire was ruling the world at the time of Jesus? The Roman Empire. This was fulfilled, destroying the city and the sanctuary. This was fulfilled in AD 70 under the Roman general Titus. He came in and they completely set Jerusalem on fire and completely destroyed Jerusalem. They are referred to as the people of the prince that shall come. Why Why were these people referred to as the people of the prince that shall come? Well, because of the, in the last days, we believe that the government that you will see, it'll be a European government, okay? In a sense, a revived Roman Empire, a revived Roman Empire. And so I believe that the Antichrist, now this is personal, but a lot of would agree with this. I think the Antichrist is gonna come out of Europe out of Europe. Why? Because, again, who was in the land in Jesus' time? The Jews were there. But who were they ruled by? They were ruled by Rome. They were ruled by Rome, okay? Now, during the tribulation period, a revived Roman Empire will be ruling the world. And then this one will come out of them. He is the prince that will come not referring to Jesus. It's referring to the Antichrist. And that becomes clear as we go through these scriptures here. After this, it is like a divine stopwatch was pressed. And I'm talking about verse 26, Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. Again, I'll read it. After three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. He didn't die for his own sins. He died for ours. And the people of the prince, the Antichrist that shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with the flood and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. So you come to the end of verse 26. Now I'm inserting this, but only so we can understand how all these things fit together. Because when verse 26 ends, Messiah has been cut off. Okay. The armies will come. They will destroy the city. It was like God says, okay, time out time out, right? Now, when you pick up in verse 27, between Daniel 9, 26 and 27, that is where the church age that we are living in today would fit in to the prophetic picture. It is like a gap or a parenthesis in the plan. Let's go back to chart one, and I want to show this to you one more time, and you'll see what I'm getting at. Chart one, okay? Here we have the first coming of Christ, his death on the cross, his resurrection. AD 70, Titus came in, destroyed Jerusalem. Jews were scattered all over the world. The Bible says they'll come back at the end of the last days, all right? But we see this in the Old Testament. We see this in the Old Testament. We see the destruction of Jerusalem and Israel as being scattered. It was here. But you see, here's what's interesting. Daniel 9.27 picks up right here. So this is like a parenthesis or a gap that they did not know about. So from Daniel, Daniel 9, 24, 25, 26, stop, live the church age, start. Verse 27 begins the tribulation. So 
One week of seven years is yet to be fulfilled. This picks up in verse 27. And this will take place after the rapture of the church. So the plan for the Jewish people has been on hold. But God has brought them back to the land. He's setting everything up for this to take place once again. Look at verse 27 now. And he, who is the he? The prince that shall come, the Antichrist. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. How long is a week? Seven years. He is going to confirm. Now the word confirm can mean make or it can also mean make stronger. Make stronger. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week and in the midst of the week. Now if you're seven years, seven years, and the middle of the week, that would be three and a half years, right? In the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. Hmm, abominations and desolate. That sounds awful familiar. Didn't we just read that in Matthew chapter 24, the abomination of desolation? That's what it's referring to. Even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. I know this is a lot of information. So what I want to do is I want to take verse 27 and what I want to do is I want to kind of amplify it a little bit with some explanatory words and I'm going to insert them into the text temporarily now. Don't have a cow. All right. It's just so for it's a teaching moment. All right. So let's look at it with the words inserted, Daniel 9, 27. It got missed. Okay, well you look at it in your Bible and I am going to read it with the added words, okay? Daniel 9, 27. And he, the Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, seven years. And in the midst of the week, three and a half years in, He shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation of the Jewish people in the temple, because they will be worshiping in the temple during that seven-year period of time, to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even unto the consummation or the destruction, and that destruction determined shall be poured out upon the desolate, okay, or the desolate one, the Antichrist. In other words, the Antichrist will be destroyed by Jesus himself at the end of the tribulation period. Let me give it to you again very quickly. And he, the Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, seven years. Now remember, this is talking about the tribulation period. After the church goes out, the Antichrist will be manifested to the world. We won't know who he is until that time. And he is going to guarantee seven years of peace and worship for the Jewish people. And they will be able to construct their Jewish temple, the next temple. Okay, And I believe it will be right on the, uh, the site, the Temple Mount, what's called the Temple Mount today. And he will guarantee that they will have seven years of being able to sacrifice there. So temple worship will begin again. But three and a half years in, he is going to go into the temple, claim himself to be God, and to be worshiped as God. That is, he's going to defile the temple. That is an abomination. Him saying he is God, that is an abomination. And there's going to be desolation, destruction because of that on him. 
Okay, so the abomination of desolation, again, is when Antichrist goes into the temple, claims himself to be God, to be worshiped as God. Let me give you a New Testament picture of this exact truth. Hold your place here and go with me over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is Paul talking about the same thing Daniel was talking about. Actually, by the way, it wasn't Daniel saying it, it was Gabriel, the angel Gabriel who was giving the prophecy. It's recorded in Daniel, so I keep saying Daniel saying this. It was actually Gabriel actually speaking it. But here in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, it says this, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there be the day of the Lord, this, this coming period. That day shall not come except there shall come a falling away first and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So there's a falling away, the man of sin is revealed, the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped, so that he, look at it, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And so when will this take place? It'll take place in the midst of the week, halfway through the tribulation period. The true believers of today, those who have trusted Christ as Savior and him alone, not by works, but simply by grace through faith, will have already been taken out of the world before the tribulation begins, completing the church age, okay? A week and a half ago, I received an email from somebody who faithfully follows our ministry, promotes our ministry, even financially supports our ministry. They live in another country, they said this. They asked me a question. They said, uh, what, about, what do you think about the possibility of the temple being rebuilt before the rapture takes place? Is that possible? I said, it is possible. It's possible. You might say, well, well I don't see how that... No, no. You have to admit it's possible. I'm not saying it will. I'm just saying it is possible. Folks, let me tell you something. If they started building, a, if some way, somehow, maybe a stray Iranian missile comes to the Temple Mount and, and blows up the mosque and the Dome of the Rock that is there, and I, I'm, I don't know, but some way Israel is able to start constructing their temple there, Man alive, are we close. If we're still here, we are like right now ready for the rapture because the Antichrist is literally right around the corner, and I think he is anyway. But it's possible. Now, nowhere does the Bible say exactly when the temple will be built, but only that it must be built if the Antichrist is going to go into the temple, claim himself to be God and to be worshipped of God. You can't go into a temple that doesn't exist. And that's going to take place three and a half years in. Now, with that, let me say, as I have often said, they have been waiting to build the temple for decades. They have all the instruments, all the tools, the implementation. Those things have been recreated exactly according to Scripture. They've got everything. They are actually raising red heifers. I think there's two or three of them that at this point are, look like they're going to be qualified because that is going to be necessary for that period of time. And if you want more information on this, how close is this? Go to the website for the Temple Institute. The Temple Institute. I'm not making this stuff up. They're ready. They've been ready for decades to build. 
It's just a matter of when can they do it without causing World War III. So when will the tribulation end? Well, the tribulation ends when Jesus comes back at his second coming. Here in 2 Thessalonians 2, look at verse 8. It says, and then shall the wicked, the wicked one, the Antichrist, be revealed. And look what it says. Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. And if you want a cross-reference for that, Revelation chapter 19 gives you more detail about that. So the Antichrist, this, this last times dictator of the world, indwelt by Satan himself, he is going to claim himself to be God and to be worshiped as God, Antichrist, but he is going to be destroyed along with the false prophet who promotes him when Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation period, right before he sets up his kingdom. Now, let me ask you, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 5, and if you don't, just listen, just listen to this. What about you today? I've given you all this information today. We've looked at it together. Hopefully, it's been clear. I've done my best to try to make it clear. What about you today? You might say, what are you referring to? Let me ask you this, friend. If you were to die right now, right now, where would you go? Would you go to heaven? Would you go to hell? You think you cease to exist? No. You're either going to go to heaven or hell when you die. And wherever you go, it'll be forever. Either one is eternal. Either one. God wants you to know that you're going to heaven. He desires that for you in the word of God. But there's only one way you can know. And it's who putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior. Then you can claim his promise. Let me illustrate this. Please pay attention. This hand representing you and me and let my wallet represent our sin, all the things we do wrong. Here we are. God loves us, but he hates our sin. Remember, sin separates us. What did we need? We needed somebody to make a payment to make it possible that man and God could be reconciled. Here we are, separated because of our sin. To get to heaven, you have to be sinless, and yet none of us are. We're sinners, according to the Bible. God says our sin must be paid for. If we're going to end up paying for our sin, we'll have to die physically and spend forever in hell. The Bible says it's the eternal lake of fire. God doesn't want that for you nor for me. Good works don't pay for sin. Not a verse in the Bible says good works will get you to heaven. Matter of fact, it's clear, isn't it? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. It's a gift, not of works, lest any man should boast. Because there's nothing we could do to save ourselves, the Lord Jesus Christ came. And when he was born, okay, so he, for unto you, the angel said, unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior, not a helper, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. Jesus came, went to the cross, and he went to the cross to pay for all your sins so that you don't have to. He did it for you. He dies as a substitute, rose from the grave, and he says, listen, all you need do to be saved, all you can do is to believe in him, trust in him that he made that payment for you. Romans 5.8 says, God commended or displayed his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you trust in him that he did that for you, he will give you that moment everlasting life. All your sins are forgiven. He gives you a home in heaven. Whenever you die, you'll go to heaven. Why? 
you can't go to hell, you have no sin. Jesus took care of it. He gave you everlasting life. So you go to heaven. Isn't that great news? Now, listen, we are living in a day of double bonus or bonus, okay? You not only get everlasting life in heaven as a gift, but the Bible tells us when you trust Jesus Christ the Savior in the days in which we live, you're also promised that God's going to take you out of this world before that seven-year period starts. So it makes sense to trust in Jesus Christ today. And if you haven't done it, would you do that? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.